Welcome to the Libraries Transform Texas podcast, where we showcase the value of Texas librarians and libraries. I'm Jeanette Davies of the San Antonio Public Library. Our topic for this episode is banned books in honor of ALA's Banned Book Week, September 2021. Banned Books Week is September 26th through October 2nd, 2021 is an annual event celebrating the freedom to read. Typically held during the last week of September, it spotlights current and historical attempts to censor books in libraries and schools. It brings together the entire book community, librarians, booksellers, publishers, journalists, teachers, and readers of all types in sharing support of the freedom to seek and to express ideas even those that are sometimes considered unorthodox or unpopular. To simplify, a challenge is an attempt to remove or resist materials, excuse me, restrict materials based upon the objections of a person or a group. A banning is the removal of materials. And to briefly mention ALA's brief history and their stance on banned books. The American Library Association launched Banned Book Week in, the 19, in 1982 to celebrate the freedom to read. Librarians, bookstores, publishers, and teachers across the country used this week in September to highlight great books that people have banned in order to educate, spark conversation about censorship. Now, reading banned books offers families a chance to celebrate reading and promotes open access to ideas, which are keys to reading, raising lifelong readers, according to the Common Sense Media. Let me start a conversation today by introducing our two guests. I'm so excited that they're with us today. Both of them are passionate about banned books. Dr. Mark Baer is head of the English department at the University of Texas, San Antonio, and Carrie Damon is a Northside Independent School District Middle School Librarian. Welcome to you both. Dr. Baird, let's start with you and conclude with Carrie. Uh, sure, it's a pleasure to be here. Thank you. So let's actually talk about some of your experiences uh, with banned books. And I'll start out with this question, Dr. Baird. Why do people ban books? Um, uh, people, people have banned books uh, for centuries. In fact, I think that the, the censorship of books, um, the history of the censorship of books is, is as long as the history of writing. People have been banning books and censoring them for as long as people have, have written them. And, and people ban books for all kinds of reasons. Um, you know, sometimes uh, there are really are serious issues at stake, um, religious issues or, or political reasons. Um, oftentimes though, I, I think um, books are challenged or banned for uh, offending uh, a sense of morality. Um, you know, uh, people find things um, that might be profane or, or upset their sensibilities and, and Therefore, books will be banned or challenged, um, you know, right. um, rather democratically. Now, it's also for, I think you mentioned, religious and political reasons. Uh, an idea or a character in a book might offend somebody's 
like you said, morality uh, or sense of religion or their political view? Uh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, and I think, um, you know, there's, there's several examples of, uh, of political censorship um, of books, um, even today, but I can think of, of several historical examples, um, you know, even, even, you know, some of the books that are, are most taught, most read, most loved, uh, some of the works of Shakespeare, in fact, uh, were in fact, um, were in fact censored. Uh, well, the example that comes to mind is, is Shakespeare's Richard II. Um, uh, now all plays of the period were required to be licensed by uh, an official called the Master of the Rebels. And, and he thought that uh, Richard II in depicting um, the deposition of a king um, was, was a little bit too subversive because people might extract uh, from usurping um, a historical king um, to possibly challenging the authority of the, of the reigning monarch, Elizabeth. Ah, uh -huh. And that would have been in what year would that have been? Then? Uh, that was in um, actually in August 1601. Ah, so long feel that the need to protect children from cursing, um, morale, you know, offensive behavior or radically um, insensitive language in a book, or they think a book's content is too violent or too sexual. Those are some of the other reasons. Uh, now, I see that you have on here that uh, Lewis Carroll's Alice of Wonderland. Why was that banned? Yes. Um, yeah. Um, who could have a problem with, uh, with Alice in Wonderland? <laughs> um, um, well, apparently people do. It was banned um, in 1931 in Hunan province in China um, uh, because the governor of that province felt that depicting animals talking like people was was somehow wrong, but it was demeaning to people. Um, you know, it it would I guess it suggested that that people and animals were somehow on the same plane. With, <laughs> of course, you know, people are supposed to be um, superior. So I mean, I think this this gives you some uh, idea of a degree to which um, books are are challenged in in the multiplicity of reasons for that. Sure, and it's very interesting this, since a lot of children's books use animals as characters to get across a message. And I think sometimes they do that so that it's gender nonspecific and, and they're, they're trying to uh, look at the animal as having some human qualities perhaps. Uh, so we're, we as adults are projecting those onto the animals, <laughs> the poor animals. We talk about the people, we don't mention the animals. <laughs> But some of the animals and characters in uh, books do a better job than we actually do uh, in person. Uh, yeah, exactly. I mean, I think I think examples of of censorship uh, yeah, of of a book like um, like Alice in Wonderland, you know, really really hit home how absurd the banning of books really is. Um, <laughs> you know, it's you know, I mean. Um, the, the fact that somebody could have a problem with, with animals uh, talking. Okay. <laughs> right. And, and of course, I mean, uh, Alice in Wonderland is a, is a fun, whimsical type book and everybody interprets it differently. So I think we always have to keep that in mind when we talk about banned books, that everybody's interpretation of a book is different. 
And that actually is, is the exciting thing about all kinds of different books. Uh, so Dr. Brad, do you think that the reasons we ban books are simply idiosyncratic with no, for no particular reason? Um, no, actually I don't. I think that um, that might seem to be the case, but I think that, um, but well, first of all, many books are, are challenged, but not banned outright. And I think um, the, the reason that a lot of books are not uh, banned outright, outright um, is, is that certain countries, and, and there's a, a remarkable uh, decision in the United States in 1933 that, um, that revolved around the publication of uh, James Joyce's Ulysses. Um, and I think that the judge's decision in this case was, it was a, real, a real attempt to, to preserve freedom of, of expression while also realizing that, that not everything uh, can or, or should be published. Um, so, so I wanna, I wanna talk a little bit about the, the publication history of Ulysses and, and the, this remarkable court case, right? So- right now, now, Ulysses was written by James Joyce, uh, a very popular Irish author. Uh, I don't know his, his time frame, uh, but very popular author in uh, Ireland. Uh, absolutely, uh, and but not just Ireland, uh, but the really the whole English-speaking sure. world. Um, right. And so, um, Ulysses was was eventually published in 1922, and and well before um, the book was published, uh, Joyce had uh, a reputation. He had already written Portrait of the Artist uh, as a Young Man. He was popular, yeah. and everybody knew that he was working on what would what would come to be known as his masterpiece. Um, and, and parts of Ulysses had already been published um, in a journal called The Little Review in installments from March, 1918 to December, 2020. And so I mean, people knew quite a bit about what was in Ulysses. So um, the book was actually banned even before publication or at least before <laughs> publication in the United Kingdom and the United States. The book was eventually published in 1922 on Joyce's 40th birthday um, by a publisher named um, called uh, Shakespeare and Company in Paris, which uh, would strike us as a little odd because um, it's not an English speaking country, but it, it had to be that way because when, um, when copies of Ulysses were shipped to the US, they were, they were detained by the post office. <laughs> and and what, why was that? And what was their biggest objection to the book? Um, well, if, if you've ever read Ulysses, it's, it's, a pretty, it's a pretty raw book, right? There's, um, there's a lot of profanity, a lot of profanity, <laughs> which today doesn't really, um, doesn't strike us as, as that unusual. A lot of the uh, uh, fictional works we read do have a lot of profanity, but you know, hundred years ago that was probably a bit different. Um, but the the main issue is obscenity. There is an instance in chapter fourteen called the Nausicaa episode, where the book's protagonist Leopold Bloom is sort of um, standing behind um, standing behind a pile of rocks, and he's watching. Uh, another character, uh, Gertie McDowell, who's a teenage uh, 
a teenage girl and he's masturbating while he's watching her. And, and that was seen to be, um, you know, completely, completely obscene and, and unacceptable for readers in the United States. Right. And so that if the book wasn't allowed to enter the United States, how are we able to read it today? Well, this comes to, I think, uh, a broader issue about the censorship of books and, and it was the, the decision to allow um, uh, Ulysses to eventually be released and published in the U.S. Um, the, so this, as you can imagine, uh, there's a lawsuit that ensued. Um, Joyce's American publisher was Random House. Um, obviously a big publisher with immense resources and right. <laughs> so they took the government's decision to court and um as it happened um they had a, a rather favorable judge uh, the judge who decided the case was um was a, a guy named john wolseley who was a judge for the southern district of new york which which encompasses new york city uh -huh. and and i think what makes his decision um so remarkable is that he, rather than just seeing an episode um, like the Nausicaa chapter and saying, wow, this is, this is obscene, this is pornographic, he really took the time to sort of adopt sort of the persona, the attitudes of, um, of a literary critic. Um, <laughs> it, was, it was remarkably sophisticated, his, his decision. Mm -hmm. So for that time, I'm sure it was. Well, yeah, I mean, and, and so I'll read a bit from the decision. Um, so he, he says, and I'm quoting from the decision here. He said, I have read Ulysses once in its entirety, which is pretty remarkable since it's a <laughs> long and complex work. It's a very long book, yes. Yeah, and he says, and I have read those passages of which the government particularly complained several times. In fact, for many weeks, my spare time has been devoted to a consideration of the decision which my duty would require me to make in this manner. And then he goes on to say, Ulysses is not an easy book to read or understand. It's true about that. <laughs> yeah. uh, but there has been much written about it and in order to properly approach it, the consideration of it is advisable to read a number of other books which have now become its satellites. The study of Ulysses is therefore a heavy task. Mm. Um, <laughs> uh, many of my students will, uh, will attest to that. But, but I think the key, the key part of the decision is this. He says, the reputation of Ulysses in the literary world, however, warranted me taking such time as was necessary to enable me to satisfy myself as to the intent with which the book was written. For of course, in any case where a book is claimed to be obscene, it must first be determined whether the intent with which it was written was what is called, according to the usual phrase, pornographic that is written for the purpose of exploiting obscenity. Um, and so what he's doing there is not, is, is not abstracting particular moments in a book, but actually considering its totality. And he realizes that the literary intent of Ulysses was such that, um, that in spite of its unusual frankness, he says, he, that I do not detect anywhere the leer of the sensualist. <laughs> um, therefore, um, he held that it was not pornographic, and the last line of the of the decision is, um, uh, Ulysses may therefore be admitted to the United States, and and it go. was, 
and now here we are. It's... And here we are. Yes, that's great. So uh, would you say maybe he was a little bit ahead of his time uh, and he bordered on, like you said, being a literary critic, which I probably didn't have those credentials, I'm sure. Um, well, no, he, he didn't. Um, um, but I think that but I, I think in taking the time to understand not just Ulysses, but understanding what censorship was all about, he was able to uh, he was able to parse the issue in 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 in, in, in an interesting way that um, mm -hmm. that you know uh, allows us to 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 separate literary value um, from elements in a book that might be challenged for, you know, obscenity, racism, right. or, or any number of reasons. Right, and the fact that you said that he looked at the whole book rather than picking out little portions of it and saying, well, on this page, it's that way, and this way, another way, um, is, is looking at it as a whole, the whole content of it, so. That's very interesting. I guess I'll have to put that uh, Ulysses. I've read bits and pieces of it. I'll have to put it on my reading list. <laughs> yeah, uh, it's a it's a heavy task. As uh, I am as, sure, as <laughs> I am <laughs> sure. So thank you very much. Uh, so I'm going to mention some banned books here. Uh, the ALA Office of Intellectual Freedom tracked 156 challenges to library, school, and university materials and services in 2020. And of the 273 books that were targeted, there are a few, here are a few of the most uh, challenged, along with a few reasons why they were challenged. And then we'll throw it to Carrie, our middle school librarian uh, with Northside School District, who will give us some insights into her, her um, experiences with middle school students and banned books. And I know that she's very passionate about it. So I will start out with a couple of books. The Hate You Give, by Angie Thomas, it was banned, uh, reasoned or challenged, again, we need to say uh, challenged uh, for profanity, and it was thought to promote an anti-police message. To Kill a Mockingbird by Harper Lee, one of my favorite books, reasons it was banned and challenged for racial slurs with negative effects on students featuring a white savior character and its perception of the Black experience. Another one of my favorites, Mice and Men by John Steinbeck. Reasons banned challenge for racial slurs, the racist, racist stereotypes, and there were negative effects on students. Those were the reasons why it got on the banned book list. And we have The Bluest Eye by Toni Morrison. And that was banned and challenged because it was considered sexually explicit and depicts sexual child abuse. Carrie, I know a few of these uh, books may be on middle school reading lists or actually uh, on high school reading lists. So uh, Carrie, tell us about your experience with banned books and how you all are acknowledging banned books at your school. Um, at my school, those... Uh, those books aren't really on the reading lists. Um, they're the perennial favorites. They get challenged a lot. <laughs> but to um, speak to what Dr. Bayer said earlier, uh, I think that people, parents who are trying to shield their children 
are very afraid of tough conversations and change um, because these things have become politicized, like he was talking about, right? Uh, that have been challenged the past few years. There's been a lot of LGBT that's been challenged. There's been a lot of um, uh, books about white police officers assaulting black teenagers, mm -hmm. um, books about the history of racism in our country. And so our kids don't watch the news, but they hear conversations and they're, sure. they're marginally aware of these things and they come into the library looking for those books. Mm -hmm. And so we, at my campus, we acknowledge Banned Books Week. Um, everybody calls it my High Holy Week. Um, <laughs> it's, it's my favorite week of the whole year. I buy the t-shirts, I do the rah-rah. <laughs> Good um, for you. Good for you. <laughs> and we, we talk about it um, at least with the eighth graders, I talk about it. I know some other campuses, um, middle school campuses can't mention it at all um, because of their populations. I am fortunate that I, uh, we do lessons where we talk about um, reading rights and responsibilities where they have the right to choose whatever they want to read. Sure. And they have the responsibility to allow other people to have different views and read what they want to read and, mm -hmm. you right. know, leave them alone about it. Right. For um, so respect for whatever anybody's reading. Maybe you don't right. like that book, but doesn't necessarily mean somebody else doesn't. Exactly. And we talk about how whatever's happening in the news, um, at right. least when it comes to banning books for kids, those tend to be like... Like um, Dr. Bayer said earlier, the language and the sex and that kind of stuff is still high up there, but now it's starting to be more of those, those topics that come into, you know, when transgender bathrooms were a thing and when mm -hmm. right. uh, teaching critical race theory is a thing and when George Floyd was a thing, all those things come up in the books and... Right. Well, like that, I mean, a lot of books are a reflection of our society and what's going exactly. on in our society and the time period, as Dr. Bear mentioned, um, you know, what was going on with Shakespeare's time and almost it makes us think about banned books and think, wow, really, we're still banning books. We're still banning books. <laughs> and um, so some of the other campuses I know do displays. I do right. a display. Some campuses do, you know, trivia little activities, maybe they'll feature a banned book on the PA every morning, sure. just to raise awareness that there are uncomfortable topics that are in books that some people want to talk about. And my experience with kids is if they don't want to talk about it, that's not the book they're going to pick. But if they're picking those books, they want to start a conversation with somebody. And that's the perfect opportunity, I think, for parents to pick up the ball, but they're, you know, I think. Right, and we also, as parents and, and educators, we use books as a gateway to strike up conversation uh, on, on difficult subjects, perhaps, that we really don't wanna talk about, or you might not wanna talk about um, on the playground or at the, in the lunchroom <laughs> with your, you know, your cohorts. <laughs> um, sure. but, but, you know, sometimes we, as librarians, I think, provide that safe place of uh, the opportunity to have those conversations if you so desire. Absolutely, absolutely. Um, and I just think the parents, 
Um, some of it is political. This book goes against my political beliefs. And, you know, with a lot of the, um, with pretty much everything being politicized nowadays, I think that's becoming more and more difficult um, because I have had parents object to books based on one page. They didn't read the whole thing. I mean, if that guy could sit through Ulysses, uh, you know, and they're like, oh, this one page had the word. Or um, I once had a, a teacher take a book from a kid. This, I, this, you can just tell from the cover, this book is disgusting. Uh, oh, okay. <laughs> well, and I think um, you need to you know, bear in mind that that's one person's opinion. There's so many, and that's the beauty of books. Or you know, everybody can have a different opinion about. Oh sure. Whatever. I mean, we but, say libraries actually. There's something to offend everyone. So. Oh sure. <laughs> oh sure. But what I teach the kids is: Does he have the right to have that opinion? Absolutely. Does he have the right to come in here and demand I remove that book from the shelf based on his one opinion for all of you know the thousand kids on my campus? Absolutely not. Right. Right. And I think that's what ALA emphasizes and that freedom that you talk about, the freedom to read what you want, to have your own choices and have them supported by people in literary communities such as the university and the public library and school libraries. Certainly that school libraries are actually a, where a lot of us started reading all kinds of books and and that, that's what the beauty of libraries, again, I know I'm, I preach libraries all the time, but um, is there's so many choices. There's just lots of choices. So if you don't like one book, there's gotta be, and there's bound to be another book somewhere in the library yes. that's gonna like even more. <laughs> I teach, that's what I teach the kids. Great, great. Well, that's great. That's really exciting. Uh, so you've uh, both acknowledged kind of what your institutions are doing for Band Book Week. What about you, Dr. Bear? What are they doing over there at UTSA? Um, well, certainly uh, the library uh, makes a pretty big deal of uh, Band Book Week every year um, to remind people, um, you know, that our, our literary heritage is not uh, as secure as we, we think it is. Um, we have displays, and I think uh, a lot of people, uh, a lot of instructors uh, get into it, uh, these issues in, in the classroom, right? Um, and, I, and I want to go back to a, an excellent point that, that Carrie made. Um, you know, in my discussion of Ulysses and, and, and Judge Woolsey's decision, you know, I, I, I'm afraid I, I sort of framed this as, you know, this sort of arcane legal issue. But, but Carrie reminds us that, that it's not. It's that, you know, I mean, I think the point is, and, and I think this is, was a point that the judge was trying to make, is that but the world is uh, is a messy place. It does contain, you know, um, racial animus. It does contain, you know, uh, a lot of obscenity, profanity, a lot of other lurid elements. Um, yes. You know, and and so if the world is messy and unjust, the the books we read, uh, in order to reflect that, sort of have to be doing the same thing. Um, I love that. Right. Very good point. Because kids uh, like, want to see themselves reflected in the books. Right. Exactly. Exactly. I know uh, that, that they talk about that a lot about it, early literacy, that uh, when children don't see themselves in books, it's mm -hmm. difficult to put themselves in that position or to understand maybe what that kid is thinking, et cetera. So very good points, all of you. Wonderful. Well, I'm so happy both of you could join me today. We could talk on and on and about band books. I've always loved band books. It's a very interesting topic. 
and it's so deep in so many different avenues that you can follow. So thanks again for both of you for joining us today. And I'm going to wrap up by saying that the San Antonio Public Library community, along with libraries throughout the state of Texas and the country, and we like to thank the world, plan to mark the occasion of Band Book Week with library materials, displays, programs, etc. And you can check out the ALA's website, uh, www.ala.org. Uh, and we all want to really celebrate our freedom to read, since it is a privilege to be able to use your local library, uh, to pick up books here and there, wherever you go. Thank you for listening to our podcast today. Please join us for our next episode, where... Librarian Kate Sweeney interviews author Adriana Cuevas, the author of The Total Eclipse of Nestor Lopez. To learn more about the Texas Library Association, please go to www.txla.org.